Well, welcome to the Gospel Rant, and haven't heard that before. We're doubling up because the topic allows for it. We're in Romans, the book of microaggressions. Uh, this is number 15. We're in Romans 8, actually. So I'm Dr. Bill Sinyard. I'm going to be the host for this podcast. Uh, HHTB, haven't heard that before, is all about helping regular Christians apply the simple, uncluttered gospel to the feelings of falling short or being a disappointment or fear of looking up into God's eyes, feeling like you're a failure. And that includes shame, guilt, identity issues. You're just never sure of your standing with God, and you might even feel like your faith is lacking. But none of that's true. I mean, you've, if you've been with us for any length of time, you know Jesus purchased for you 2,000 years ago all the love in the universe. God has to, technically, humanly speaking, but he loves you as much as he loves uh, the Son and the Son loves the Father, right? So um, anyway, uh, in the Gospel Rant, and now HHTB, we're looking through key passages in Romans and unpacking the microaggressors. And here's what we mean by microaggressors, if you're not familiar with the term. Microaggression is a term used for brief and commonplace daily verbal, behavioral, or environmental indignities, whether intentional or unintentional, that communicate hostile, derogatory, or negative prejudicial slights and insults toward any group. So in Paul's case in Romans, it's towards those who are religious, who feel kind of in a pagan sense that we have to actually earn God's love, um, you know, and really undermine implicitly or explicitly what Jesus did for us 2,000 years ago, right? That he actually has to love us, where God is looking down right now, even though I can't hear it much, and saying, well done, good and faithful servant to me, all because of Jesus. And... That my human brain and the human context in the midst of this secular humanism in the United States, we just can't com- we just can't compute with that. We're not comfortable with such an open-ended, no strings relationship. So Paul's having to offend all of those well-meaning Christians who just can't hear it. There, that that critical voice in their brain is not letting them hear and and embrace and be embraced by the simple. Uncluttered gospel, and that's most of us. Most of us, most uh, mainline denomination folks, and evangelicals, and nuns, and 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 Catholics. So, Paul's lobbing microaggressions big time, right? And I would suggest that in Romans eight fifteen to eighteen, the, the section we're going to look at today, it's huge. So here we are. This is Paul, uh, verse fifteen. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. See, in that interesting thing for humble, humiliating thing that God does, and the Spirit's motivated by it's his wheelhouse to, to keep telling us that we're God's children, right? We have to address why... We don't get it. Verse 17, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Verse 18, and I considered that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Romans 8, Paul's most majestic chapter, maybe of any that he's he's ever written. Uh, I put Ephesians 3 up there as well, but Romans 8, oh my gosh. And it's speaking of this new identity we have in Christ, which is really a relationship that we have in Christ. And we forget the relationship part. 
And the Holy Spirit apparently has to remind us of that, empower us, make do miracles all the time for our brains to get it. Isn't that something? I mean, I don't want to admit that. And that's the unique aspect of Christians is we have the Holy Spirit in us. Um, anybody can do good things. Anybody can do loving things. I mean, a case could be made that non-Christians are just as good, in some cases better than, than Christians. Anybody can be circumcised. That's easy. I mean, painful, but easy. Anybody can be baptized. Anyone can say they agree with this or that doctrine. Anyone can believe Jesus is the Son of God, right? Satan believes that, right? But he didn't get any bonus points for that, and and neither do I, neither do you. But if, meaning since you're a Christian, you alone uniquely have the Holy Spirit inside of you, way above my pay grade, of course. Let me reverse it. You have the Spirit inside of you, and it should be obvious, at least every now and then, right? Because he's deity, after all. He's God. And then when that happens, when it's obvious, you actually know, you get, it makes a difference. You feel like you're a beloved, adopted child of God in good standing, all because of what Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago. Now, God technically has to love you, speaking in human terms. I know that bothers people, but it's true. Uh, that he has to. It's it's he he set up the deal and Jesus fulfilled it. So, you know, all the conditions are paid for, and he can't love you any more, any less than he does right now. You can't add to it. You can't take away from it. You with me? So this is one of Paul's points. Back a few verses. Paul cries out that he still messes up. Romans seven. What amazing confession. Paul is saying what I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I do. Right? He knows what's right, but he keeps doing wrong, and so he exposes himself as, as a disappointment. Right? He, this is Paul. Something's wrong with him. It's a statement of shame or falling short of expectations, falling short of God's commands. And that nasty critical voice in his brain is the same critical voice that's in mine and yours, and most likely, come on, definitely accuses him that he's a disappointment to God. That, that God's disappointed in him, right? And that would be only human. And, and, and wondering at times, this is Paul in the backwash of his Romans 7 failure, if his faith is good enough, what's wrong with me? I, maybe I don't have faith. Maybe I'm not saved. Maybe, right? What, or wondering if God still loves him or did God now love him less because of what he did or didn't do? Or if all of a sudden there's hoops that he should jump through. I'm sure people are giving him lists. They give me lists. And by the way, that critical voice in my head gives me lists, too, of hoops to jump through. Look, don't even try to tell me you haven't felt that. Right? Don't leave me hanging out here. But it's, it's, I've been a pastor for way too long. Uh, push comes to shove. People are thinking this. In fact, we're so bent that way, we seem to be looking for any reason to read the text this way. And here it is. Quote, if I do this or that thing, fill in the blank, whatever that is, enough and consistently, then God will hug me, like me, acknowledge me, bless me, be proud of me, will eventually say to me, well done, good and faithful servant, and my spiritual life will just take off. There it is. I mean, that's 99% of most churches' ministries and, and at least a third of sermons, the application section, right? And we're so comfortable, well, really uncomfortable, but you know what I mean, with this conditionality, with relational conditions, we're just uncomfortable accepting, much less embracing the opposite, the free gift that it doesn't remove conditions or ignore them. 
what Jesus did is he paid for all the conditions, right? The conditions are solid. There's no such thing as unconditional love. It's just that Jesus covers the conditions uh, once for all time, 2,000 years ago. So that's Romans 8. Uh, and Paul's no dummy. I would suggest that he's aware that such a gift that makes this relationship with God 100% would have been uncomfortable in his day too, right? Who does this? Who makes a relationship, the validity of a relationship, the being of the relationship, not dependent upon both parties doing their jobs and doing certain things well, because relationships are contractual. There must be some ifs. Otherwise, we're just not comfortable. We don't know what that looks like, and that's human nature. All of our relations are conditional. And by the way, my relationship with God is also conditional, but once again, Jesus paid the conditions. He did all of the ifs. So if you're following me, there's a lot here. What Paul is doing is he's just proclaiming, he's teaching. And this is shocking. Since you and I cannot fully grasp such a free gift, right, with any more strings because they've been pulled, God has to put his spirit. He has to put his spirit. We can't get it there otherwise because of our brains, um, our relational wounds, our mommy and daddy issues. God has to put his spirit in our inner being, wherever that is, and his the Spirit's core charge, which John Calvin rightly calls his secret working, I love that, is to make us get, experience, feel, know beyond knowing that we are God's children and are adored right now as we are, not as we should be or could be, no matter what we've done or will do or have it done or won't do. Someone described it as a love affair between God and us right now. Now, I may not be feeling that, but it's there. To put it clearly, Apparently, we're so broken by this fallen world, we need miraculous power to make our brains accept the validity of this relationship. And otherwise, when Romans 7 happens today, and it will, I will fall back into conditionality and immediate experience of shame. And that nasty critical voice in my head will take advantage of my failure and tell me again, God can't love you. Did you just see what you just did or didn't do? You have got to be a disappointment, right? I don't know if you can pull yourself out of Romans 7 this time. Romans 8, oh, no, no, no. That's for successful Christians, lovable Christians, not you. All right, so back to Romans. Here, here's That's what Paul is saying, Romans eight fifteen. For you didn't receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, right? Fear that you're stuck in Romans 7, fear that, that you've been a disappointment with God, fear that you've got no chance of fixing it. But Paul says you received a spirit of sonship. And by him, right, not by your testimony, not by your theology, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. All right, little exegesis. The Greek word cry is not the typical speaking up, kaleo. It's Greek kratzo. It's what pregnant women cry out when they're giving birth. It's what the mentally ill cry out when they're having a, a meltdown, a dysregulation. It's what the demon possessed cried out. It's what Jesus cried out in pain and anguish on the cross. So this is, this is severe crying out. It's kratzo. So don't think that it's your normal voice with just more volume. This is a cry that comes out of the failure and shame and fears, the isolation and loneliness, the sense of being rejected out of Romans 7. It's the cry of a child 
who has come to see and believe that they're a failure in the eyes of their father or mother. And they now, they're so uh, embroiled in that, there's so much in that turmoil and dysregulated that they can't look up. They won't look at their parents. They look down because it's dangerous. A fear cycle has kicked in. Uh, they can't look up into the eyes and dare to expect love or pride or anything other than rejection. Shame. So the Holy Spirit in us does a parting of the Red Sea kind of miracle, a feeding of the 5,000 kind of miracle, calming of the storm miracle in our brain, right? Regularly, the Holy Spirit not only shuts up the beast's voice in our brain a little bit, but ignites a powerful cry of bold faith. It doesn't come from us, it comes from him. And an expectation doesn't come from us, it comes from him that believes that in spite of it all, God still adores us. And that he still is more willing to say over us, you are my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. There's no capacity in our beat up brains that's riddled with daddy issues and mommy issues to expect that to happen after Romans 7 again, and then again, and then again, and then again, and then again. We're all bad behavior addicts. We're all looking for love in the wrong places, addicts. This miracle is spoken out of nothing, right? Like like a Genesis creation. The Holy Spirit is hovering over the chaos, and he speaks this relationship. A reminder, he speaks the kisses of God, right? But lest you doubt it's real, it bubbles up like a volcano, and it should surprise even us because it's creation out of nothing. And Paul's not done. All right, he's mixing the metaphors now, Romans eight sixteen, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children and testifies as sumar tureo. Technically, imagine a murder trial, and, and the defense submits, uh, brings to the stand a scientist who gives credible scientific evidence of your innocence, Right? It's clear and indisputable testimony. It sways the jurors. It sways the judge. Well, in this case, the evidence isn't of your innocence. Um, it is that even though you're guilty of sin of falling short, Romans 7, you remain a child of God. And the Spirit gives your brain and that critical voice a testimony of that that's swaying. That's convincing. So don't miss this. There is no room here to imagine that it could be referring to a child who must be put on probation or discipline or time out by God. That's not what he's saying. If you're a child of God, there's only one other category. You are right now an adored child of God. He can't love you any more. He can't love you any less. He is not disappointed in you at all. Matter of fact, he's so proud. By the way, to be clear, God's a screaming perfectionist. So he is never, ever pleased with anything you do or have ever done. But the miracle of Jesus's work on the cross is that the imperfect can now perfectly experience the love due only the perfect. And we're the imperfect, right? That's who we are and where we are in relationship with God. is crazy, wonderful. It's unbelievable, and yet it's true. And so it's a microaggressor anybody and everybody who thinks about it. So, back to Paul. The Spirit testifies, gives a credible testimony, convincing testimony to your spirit, to your brain, to the critical voice in your head that you are adored right now. And be clear here, this should be noticeable. This is 
shifting from Romans 7 to Romans 8 every day. Your shame and fear that you've messed it up, the critical voice in your head, which are all real and all experiential, right? We're, we're not promoting denial here. But this testimony must be felt in the midst of that. And Paul is suggesting that this is real. This testimony isn't theoretical, not philosophical, or to be experienced in the great by and by, but we should hear it now, and it should affect us. We should feel love today. The Holy Spirit, that's his, that's his joy. That's his wheelhouse, and he's God. And remember, he speaks into nothingness. So if you're not feeling loved, it's just, this is the Spirit's wheelhouse to make you feel loved. It's going to make a difference in your significance, security, and belonging. So let me ask pastorally a question. Have you heard his testimony recently? And particularly after you messed up. And if not, be honest. And and here we go. No judgment. Just join me in asking the Spirit to make us feel it, or better, to make us hear it, or better, to make the, the voice in my head get it. All right, so... We're going to take a break here and pick this up in the next session. So so don't miss it. We will be back next time on the Gospel Rant and haven't heard that before. Take heart, child of Have you ever attempted to read the entire Bible? Did you do it, or did you only make it part way? I'm John Stonge, and I host a podcast that will make it possible for you to make it through the entire Bible, one chapter at a time. I've been hosting the Chapter a Day Audio Bible Podcast since 2015, and every single day of the week, I read one chapter of Scripture, then follow that up with a time of prayer. And if you're looking for daily insights and inspiration directly from God's Word, I hope you'll give the Chapter a Day Audio Bible a listen. You can find it at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcasting app.